Welcome to the Dialoguing Life Podcast, the podcast designed to get you talking about the interesting and contentious parts of our life together. I'm Peter Nauta, and this is episode number four, a conversation with Denise and Ralph Balbin about escaping the Las Vegas massacre, the shooting at the Route 91 Harvest Festival on October 1st of 2017. It left 58 people dead and 851 injured in what is the deadliest mass shooting from a single individual in our nation's history. We are recording this a little more than four months after the event in February of 2018. Denise and Ralph tell the story of that evening along with the emotional recovery they've gone through in the four months since the event. For a map of the concert venue and other background information, check out the show notes for this episode at dialoguing.life slash four. This podcast is part of the Dialoguing Life community, a place where people can share their experiences and discuss heated topics without the vitriol found on many social media sites. Let's get started. I think you saw the email. You know, the, my goal is sort of starting with, with the night of the concert, the last night of the concert anyway, and, you know, what that experience was like and then sort of the recovery process that you guys have gone through since then. Uh, but I feel like I should probably start at least getting a short version of how are you guys doing now dealing with that. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, um, I mean, obviously it's been four months since it's happened and it, I wouldn't say it's been a long recovery process because it's only been four months, but it's, you know, I think mentally it's definitely felt like it's been very long. Um, it was a battle, I think, that we had to deal with, uh, you know, every day since that happened. And now, uh, I think I'm confident in saying that, um, I feel, you know, a lot better about that night in terms of how often I'm thinking about it. Um, you know, obviously my opinions and things still kind of remain the same about what happened that night. Um, it's still a traumatic experience for me, but, um, I've at least been able to move forward enough where, you know, I can still go out and do some of the same things I've done in the past. I try not to mentally let it overwhelm me, um, where I can't go to a, a sporting event or I can't go to the mall or a public place or even a concert. Um, so those things I think, you know, we're working on little by little. Um, I know for me, making another trip to Vegas is, is a big deal. That's something we haven't done yet. Um, but you know, we've talked about it before and we both agree that it's something that we will eventually find ourselves doing in the future, maybe even this year. So I think, you know, our progress has definitely improved, at least for me. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, it has been four months, you know, um, of course time heals all things. Right. So we, we, it's it's sort of like in the back of our minds every so often, but we don't we don't try to let it run our lives or anything like that. Um, it's gotten a lot better. We've um, we've adjusted. Well, of course, you can never forget about that. So, but we have adjusted. Um, you know, but then, then there's moments where certain things will trigger um, memories back. Like for example, the song um, by Jason Aldean, "She Calls Me Baby." When that comes on, um, that's a trigger point for me, and I have to change the channel. You know. Um, or when we were walking through Santa Monica Promenade last week and these kids were playing with like pop rocks and threw them all on the ground at the same time. So it sounded just like the firecrackers or, or the gunshots that we, that we heard. Um, all of a sudden Denise got real close to me and I just had to say, you know, don't worry about it. It's, it's just, they're just kids. It's okay. It's okay. And, um, you know, certain things will trigger the both of us. Um, but as, for the most part, we're continuing to adjust, continuing to try to put that, you know, behind us because at the same time, um, you always want to keep moving forward. All right. Well, that, that's good. It sounds like, you know, things are heading in a positive direction, which yeah. is important. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I guess if it's, uh, not too difficult, do you mind going back to the, that last night of, at the, the concert and talking through? the experience that, that you went through. Yeah. I think you. Sure. Um, yeah. So it, it, it was actually, uh, interesting because I, 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 I don't really listen to country music. It's actually Diddy's that, that got me listening to it. And, um, there's, there's a couple songs that I liked. And so we, when we decided to go to the country music festival, I came in with an open mind and everything. And 
I mean, I'll be honest, I was actually having fun. Um, it was actually a good time, you know. Um, and you know, towards the, towards the, you know, Friday, Saturday was, was pretty fun. Uh, we were actually pretty close to the stage. And that Sunday, I remember we were talking as a group. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we wanted to wait for Jason Aldean, but we didn't want to catch the, the crowd trying to leave at the end of it. So it's, it's kind of ironic because we were trying to think of a way of, you know, when can we leave? When is a good time to leave? And, um, you know, when Jason Aldean came on, he was going through a set and we were kind of getting bored. Um, us guys were, <laughs> were kind of getting bored. Um, so we were trying to think, figure out a way when, when we can leave. And then, um, he all of a sudden started playing one of the songs that I really liked, um, which is, uh, any old bar, barstool. Um, and I wanted to stay now after that. And it's, it's sort of uh, interesting because during that song, we, at the end of it, we were starting to back away already, um, because we wanted to leave. We were sort of getting close to the time where we wanted to leave. Um, and when she calls me, baby came on, we decided, okay, this is going to be the last song. And then right after this, we're, we're gone, you know, we're leaving, um, you know, to, to kind of go back through details and I'm sort of getting goosebumps about it right now. It's, we were, we were still having a good time. And, uh, truth be told, we started hearing like popping sounds, right? It just, it literally sounded like firecrackers going from all over, all over, you know, the, the stage area to behind us to in front of us. Couldn't tell if it was really echoing or, or if it was the stereo or if it was the, um, the large uh, amplifiers, whatever it was, you know, um, we couldn't tell if it was part of the show, you know? So, um, we started looking around and then after the first, you know, few pops, you know, okay, it must be like some technical issue with the, uh, um, the speakers. You know, so we kept listening and next thing you know, it, it was, everything so happened so quickly yet so slow. And I, I know that's a bit of a uh, oxymoron there, but it, it's, it was, um, once the, the popping became from like, came from pop, 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 and then all of a sudden became consistent to where it sounded like an automatic rifle. Um, that's when we started turning around instead of backing away. Now we're turning around, walking quickly to the exit. Um, and then it started becoming even more consistent. So the first round was, um, us kind of getting confused, you know, because it was an inconsistent, um, stream of, I mean, gunshots. Um, and then the second round, it was consistent, full, fully automatic. And, um, I remember just walking towards the exit, not knowing exactly what to do. And the reason why I say everything was going so quickly is because everyone around us was starting to sort of stampede out. And it was going slow because I can literally feel that moment where it was, it was a fight or flight. Your natural human instincts just kick in and it was fight or flight. It was literally, it, do I just stand here and freeze or do I act on it? Right. And so I pulled Denise. I said, let's go. We got to go. And, you know, looking at Denise's reaction, she still was a little bit confused. And I said, I, I don't care if that's part of the show. I don't care. I'm, we're we're out of here because I don't, it didn't feel right. You know, so the second, um, the second stream of automatic gunfire, I, I can remember very clearly, um, I pushed Denise in front of me to kind of keep her moving forward. And, um, once it started going to the second, um, stream of automatic gunshots, um, I pushed her down and we hit under a bench. And the only thing that I can really remember was sort of, uh, bullets ricocheting off the wall, um, behind us. And it really was um, something where I was like, oh, I think this is it. So, uh, you know, like I covered Denise and I, I thought that was it, you know. Um, and then for some strange reason, um, I remember my previous training because I actually used to do comp uh, competitive shooting. Um, I I've shot, you know, automatic rifles. I've shot, you know, um, handguns. So I was thinking, okay, well, it doesn't sound like it's multiple shooters. It sounds like one, one consistent stream of an automatic rifle. He has to reload. Sounds like a 32 round magazine. You know, he has to reload. So I was waiting. I was waiting. I was waiting. And then all of a sudden it stopped. Okay. That guy's reloading. Let's get out of here. You know, I remember her asking me, are you sure? Are you sure? Let's go. And so we just went out, um, went to the right part of the suites area. Cause I believe you can actually buy, um, an elevated, um, suite area, uh, of course for, for more money. But we went around that building and kind of, um, try to get cover from there. As we went across the street, um, I actually noticed um, blood splatter on the asphalt and dripping. 
And Denise saw it, and that's when everything got real for her. You know, she said, I don't know what's going on. What's going on? Oh, my God, I can't believe this is what's happening, you know? Um, from there, we were we saw everybody just scatter in all different locations. We heard people saying, don't go to MGM. There's, there's, there's shooters over there. There's shooters over there. Um, don't go back to the, you know, don't go back to the, um, the uh, Route 91 concert. There's multiple shooters on site. So we didn't know what was going on. Um, so when we went across the street, um, sort of towards uh, like the Hooters, Tropicana area, um, we hid behind a car, and I, I literally just try to figure out what's going on here. Let's let's see, let's get out of here. I noticed that there was a parking lot where employees, and um, there were big rigs there. I believe those were for the performers, you know, for their stage setup. Yeah. And we we hid behind those those big rigs, big big rigs. And every time um, he would he would try to reload, that would I would take that opportunity to to pull Denise and hide behind the big rigs. Every time he would shoot, we'd stay duck stay hidden, and then every reload after that, go further deeper into that employee parking lot um, until we reached uh, McCarran Airport. I remember we were actually like hiding um, behind a dumpster, those large dumpsters, and we were trying to figure out exactly where to go because there were a lot of um, people saying, oh, he's over at MGM Grand, there's one over at Mandalay, there was multiple shooters. Um, so we were trying to figure out what to do. And being in an open area there, it, it really is difficult not to panic. Oh, yeah. You know, so I didn't have time to, to really figure out, okay, how am I doing emotionally? You know, how is Denise doing emotionally? It was, no, like, let's focus on that later. We got time for that later. Let's, let's get out of here. Right. So as we continue to back away, um, there was a guy, uh, that we met over at, uh, McCarran Airport who says, I can't feel my, my, my leg. It's, it feels numb. I feel numb. So at this time, we're, we're behind um, the McCarran Airport. We were in between buildings. So it was relatively safe for, at that time, you know, because we were out of sight in the dark behind buildings, in between buildings. And um, I asked him to pull up his, his pants. And sure enough, there was an entry wound and an exit wound um, right below his knee. I took Denise's lanyard and um, I just made a, a, a makeshift tourniquet. And, you know, I just said, hey, I, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but... I think you got to get that checked out, you know, <laughs> but I mean, I don't know if they're going to help you out, but, uh, truth be told, um, truth be told, I, I mean, you're lucky to, to be able to walk, right. You know, so, um, get that checked out as soon as you can. I know they're going to prioritize, um, really like people that are more critically injured, but, um, I, I think right now this tourniquet should help you out, you know, sorry, that's the best I can do. And then we continued walking all the way towards, um, Best Western which was another mile and a half hike. So um, you gotta, you got to know from the point of the event, which was across the street from Mandalay Bay, all the way to McCarran Airport, all the way to Best Western, was about a three and a half mile hike. Um, and adrenaline was just rushing inside both of us. Um, I know that Denise and I, I mean, don't really do much cardio, but three and a half miles, just running, hiding, ducking, um, and, and walking to get to safety, that just... I, it didn't even cross me as if uh, we were we were in in the right physical uh, situation where we could actually do that. But um, adrenaline is a um, interesting <laughs> interesting aspect. Yeah. Um, then from there we were watching the news, and I still didn't feel safe, you know, because there were people were saying that there there's there's one person on the loose. There's a lot of rumors going a lot, uh, around. So we took an Uber back to our Airbnb, which is about uh, 25 miles, or 25 25 minutes. Uh, drive away. So once we got there, um, we actually met up with our friends who all of us just escaped, you know, with minor cuts and bruises. One person, one of our friends lost their phone, um, but that's something that can be replaced, yeah. you know. So, and then all we did was just stay up basically the whole night, just trying to watch the news, trying to figure things out and trying to really cope with what exactly happened. Yeah. Wow. Uh, a lot to process there. Yeah. Um, sure. Um, yeah, with with situations like that, there's always social media or other platforms. There's always lots of stuff that's circulating, and so it takes a while to sort out what's what's truth, what's actually happening, versus somebody heard something and now they're tweeting about it. Or you know, there's always a lot of chaos and confusion. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I want to add to um, on top of your comment there is. Uh, what I think I want to also remind people is, as that was happening, the media had not picked up yet what was going on. So 
as we were hiding between, you know, different areas, just kind of wanted to stay moving. Aside from people yelling out what they thought was happening, people speculating, because we were all hearing different things from just different people and we didn't know what to believe. I did have my phone with me. And whenever we had just a few seconds to kind of stop, I would try and look at my phone. I would look up Las Vegas news. I would look up Las Vegas, you know, gun shooting, just anything that might come up that was related to kind of get an idea of what might be happening. So at that point, you really don't know if it's a ground shooter, if it's shooting coming from the hotel, if it's uh, 10 different people coming in cars shooting. So, you know, at no place did you really feel 100% safe. You just kind of felt, okay, it seems like we're distancing from those gunshots. I haven't heard any in a while. Um, This person says it's coming from a hotel. Those people say it's coming from that direction. Uh, maybe we seem safe over here. So it took a while for the media really to pick it up. And so by the time, you know, as he said, we got to Best Western, we finally were able to get even just a little picture of what actually happened. And at that point, to be honest with you, I didn't even realize that the Route 91 uh, festival was the target of the shooting. My assumption when we were there was that whoever was shooting was shooting at the crowds on the strip. And so, and I thought we were just collateral damage. So to see that on the news be reflected after was such a big shocker for me because I thought, oh my God, like we, we were targeted, we were literally targeted. It was everybody in that small circle of space that could have lost their lives that night. And then, you know, obviously a lot of people did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, honestly, what, what really is mind boggling was that, uh, we were actually there front and center stage right by the speakers. Um, I can literally see Jason Aldean's facial expression when he was listening on his earpiece. He turned out, he turned around to, to look at one of his, um, uh, bandmates and, uh, manager looked at the crowd. And then next thing you know, he just ran off stage, you know, and we saw that, that facial expression, you know, that, that, um, that fear, you know, that, that just struck him like, oh my gosh, this is really happening. You know, I think for those who aren't really familiar with the details, um, it was where the stage was, there was kind of a big patch of grass that stretched, um, you know, several square feet, pretty, pretty big space. So you had uh, one side that was closest in plain sight of the Mandalay Bay, and then you had the other side, which is where we happened to be. And we were on that patch of grass, and that patch of grass was what... I've seen news outlets call as, quote unquote, the kill zone, which is a very, you know, obviously morbid term to call it. But um, it was scary to think that we were very close. And as we discussed with our friends over time, we had realized how lucky we were because, you know, in previous nights, we had actually been even closer. But because we all kind of had a mutual desire to want to maybe leave the concert a little bit early, uh, just before Jason Aldean ended, only so we can beat traffic and, you know, foot traffic and kind of get, you know, rest up for the rest of the night before we head home, uh, we moved back a little bit. And that was probably one of the best decisions we ever made as a group because we hadn't, who would have known that would have happened. Um, And we think what also helped us was the stage. We think we may have been covered by the stage in a really good position so any bullets that may have been targeting that side that we were on may have protected us as well so i think that those things combined was just a lot to process and very mind-boggling mind-boggling to look back and think back about it and remember how lucky we are yeah it it seems like for for everyone that was there it was sort of uh Delayed reaction, right? Because that's not the first place your your mind's going to go is yeah. pop, pop, pop. Right. That's guns. And, you know, everyone probably kind of came to that realization at a different speed. It seems like you got there faster than Denise did, um, which I'm sure helped keep you guys alive, you know, get right. you mm-hmm. under the right. bench that you mentioned. Yeah. So, Denise, as, as this is going on, how what's going through your head as he's sort of shoving you and, you know, pulling you under the bench and you're still not quite sure what's happening? Yeah, um, I was, to be completely honest, it took me a very long time to even understand that a shooting was going on. Um, as, you know, as the concert was going on and we started hearing those popping noises, 
um, my first thought was, I looked at, I remember distinctly looking at him and thinking, is somebody playing with fireworks right now? Firecrackers? That's really strange. And, you know, I saw other, I could see, observe other people kind of look, also looking around and seeing what's going on. Uh, I don't know. So we, once everybody kind of brushed it off, we looked, we turned back to the concert. And then, um, also for those who don't know, Jason Aldean, uh, stopped singing midway through a song and just kind of left the stage and the stage went black. And as soon as the stage went black, our friends, you know, it may, I, I don't even know how long it might've been, maybe 10 seconds before we realized, okay, we need to start running. Uh, what I remember are event security telling everybody to walk, calm down. Cause at that point they don't know what's going on either. And he was pushing me to run while my friends were also running. Uh, my turn was, my face was still to the stage at, in my perspective, I still wasn't convinced. I didn't know that was a gun. I've never heard the shots of a gun in that kind of environment before. And so my thinking was, no, it's just a speaker blew out. They're going to come back. What if they come back and play? I think I even remember telling him, um, you know, no, I think they're going to come back on. I think they're going to come back on. And he's the one that was pushing me. No, something's wrong. Something's wrong. We're going. And after that, I just remember, obviously he, you know, held me, held my hand and made me run with him. I still kind of kept looking back a little bit, thinking it was really going to come back on. And, you know, in that what he, you know, same thing as he said earlier, your body just kind of goes into fight or flight. It's, you know, a lot of people are either fight, flight or freeze. And I think I was one of those people that froze because had it not been for him, honestly, I may have stood there wondering, waiting for answers. You know, my... Uh, I think initial reaction was, let's just wait. If something's really wrong, somebody will tell us. There's security here. You don't think you're ever going to be in a situation like that. We had gone to this festival. We had bought these tickets months in advance. Um, it was, we had already been at the concert for two days. It was going to end in 30 minutes. I mean, it was a normal Vegas trip for us. Never once would it have crossed our mind that you were going to be in the middle of a terrible mass shooting. So. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, all of that, processing all of that was really difficult. And even afterward, I just, I remember on our way to to the, to, uh, when we were at Best Western, actually, um, even on our way back to the Airbnb, I remember cr- starting to cry because I had held it in and I didn't know what to do. I started crying and he said, don't cry right now, wait till we get back. And I just kept asking him, like, do you think people died? Do you think people are dead? I, do you think anybody died? And I, I can tell he was very hesitant to tell me because um, I'm sure he knew I was very emotional and that it would have gotten to me. And he said, I don't know. I think so. And obviously through the course of the night, as we were there, the numbers just kept increasing and increasing. And it was just really hard to watch. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I remember reading your Facebook post and kind of picked up it picked up on it then that, you know, he was sort of pulling you away from it. So, yeah. you know, thank God you guys were there together and he was able to get you out of there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know if you can remember, I'm sure you mentioned you didn't even feel safe at the Best Western and, and until you were at the Airbnb and probably even then not until you got back here to, to LA. Um, do you remember when, where you, how far you got before it seemed like you didn't hear shots anymore? We were actually hiding behind the uh, the dumpster, um, and we can hear multiple shots, automatic. Um, some of them sounded like single shots, and we stayed by the dumpster, and um, and that's when I, I still felt like, you know what, I think. We should still probably get out of here. I don't feel safe here, even though we are surrounded by metal. Um, let's 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 keep walking. As as we went towards like in the pro in the in the transit from the dumpster to going to toward the uh, the building um, in McCarran Airport, um, we stopped hearing gunfire. We stopped hearing gunfire. So it was maybe about five minutes from when we left the dumpster area. Um, to to walk towards that building, um, where I met the guy that had a, a um a bullet wound, gunshot wound. So um during that time, that's when we stopped hearing 
um, gunshots. You were definitely kept your calm about you, and you mentioned that you had the idea of okay, this is this is serious, but first first priority is let's get out of danger, let's get somewhere safe, and then we can process and deal with it. And you know, you were it was a little bit different, but he was encouraging the the same for you, Denise. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what was that like when you first were able to process? What had just happened? Was that when you were back at the Airbnb? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Um, when we first got out of our Uber, um, we walked in and our friends were there first. They greeted us. We all, you know, gave each other hugs and, you know, basically said, I'm glad you're safe. Um, you know, we just started talking how lucky we were. And as soon as it, everything kind of settled, we turned on the TV. Of course, you know, it was still a very traumatic moment. Um, I remember just joking around and just saying, man, we were about to have dinner too. I'm pretty hungry. Who's hungry? Should I order pizza? <laughs> you know, um, you know, just to try to lighten the mood a little bit, just because it, for me, I, I, it was a traumatic moment, but I, I just don't like being negative. Right. Um, but there was a point where we were, I was calling my parents and, and letting them know. Um, what happened. And as soon as, you know, Denise and I were done talking to our parents and our family, um, there was a point where Denise and I just sat in our, in our room. And I remember I was sitting on the floor and, uh, Denise was not sitting on the bed and, you know, she, her and I just looked at each other and we were sort of having a conversation just by the look that we were giving each other. Um, and she said, thank you. You know, you saved my life. And I said, you know, I just honestly said I would do anything that, uh, you know, a husband would do, you know. Um, and we just hugged each other and, you know, she she started crying and, you know, I was patting her on the back and just trying to, you know, still try to keep the, the, the mood light and still trying to comfort her, give her a shoulder to cry on. Um, but it was at that moment where I was trying to process everything. But the way that my mind works and the way that I am is a little different from um, from a lot of our friends. I was still trying to joke around and, oh, it's nothing, you know, it, it probably is just a, um, you know, it was probably something where it was a, a hoax or something like that. You know, I was still trying to stay skeptical, you know, granted knowing now it's just, I, I didn't want to believe it. I didn't want to believe it, you know, just to put it bluntly, you know, and it, it, I was watching, I was still joking around, still trying to be normal, you know, but, um, I, I don't think I was taking it as seriously as I, as everybody else or as I could have because it's my, I wasn't processing it at that time. How long did it take to finally sink in? Um, well, the next day I woke up and I was like, man, I, uh, I gotta get some work done, you know? And I remember turning on the computer, trying to figure out something with, with financials for, um, for work. And I couldn't, I couldn't process anything. Um, I was trying to focus the best way I could, and I was. Um, but I remember calling our um, accounts payable and accounts receivable department and said, I, I messed up again, guys. I Can you please reverse what I just did? You know, and they did it. And then I screwed up again. And then they reversed it again. And I just, and I did it again. You know, it, mm-hmm. and I, I just came to a point where I shot an email out to my boss, closed my laptop, you know, and that email was just basically, listen, I can't do this at this point, at this moment. Um, because before that I actually had called her and let her know what was going on. Um, but for whatever reason, my body wasn't letting me function, you know, and, uh, maybe consciously speaking, I, I knew what I wanted to do, but subconsciously it wouldn't, it wouldn't let me do it, you know? Yeah. I think for me, it was a little bit harder. We all processed very differently that night. Obviously, you know, when we all ran away, our friends ran in different directions than we did. So we separated from them actually the minute we were able to break down from the venue. Um, so when we got to our Airbnb, um, the girls, I think, uh, you know, my, one of my friends, at least, uh, she, I know she had a hard time sleeping that night. We obviously had the news on all night. I think he fell asleep, um, sometime in the middle of the night. Uh, my friend didn't sleep at all. I probably didn't sleep until 4 a.m. just because I was just focused, laser focused on the news. And 
I just kept thinking to myself, I don't want to sleep. I don't want to do anything until I know more information. I want to know who was, who was it? What happened? And I was just, you know, so tuned into wanting to know more that it was hard for me to go to sleep knowing I might miss that some important pieces of information. Um, and then, you know, we had our other friends who were, you know, calling their families for support and relying on each other. And it was just, it was very chaotic even coming back to the house, but we definitely relied a lot on each other to be very supportive about what had just happened. And it was hard to not talk about it. So it wasn't something, you know, that we were all quiet around, quiet about around the house. It was, um, a conversation that we just couldn't get out of our heads. And the news was, even harder because we were consistently fishing and relying on that for information and just, I guess, in some ways, closure from it. Um, you know, you'll, we'll never really get full closure, but in a sense, at that moment in time, we wanted to be able to know the full picture. Um, and I think so. I think for me, that's how I processed it is even just a few hours of sleep I tried to get was hard. Yeah. I think Ralph mentioned that you you were asking, well, do you think people died? And, mm-hmm. you know, as a, probably primarily in disbelief still at that point as to what was actually happening. What, what was the process of realizing that not only, yes, people died, but we were, it easily could have been you as well? Gosh, probably that same night. I mean, I think as we, you know, look back at it and we see the the toll numbers go up. Um, I remember just kept, I just kept thinking like, okay, it's 20. I hope it stops at 20. Oh, it's 25. I hope it stops at 25. And then it got to over 50 and it was just unbelievable. And I just remember thinking like, I cannot believe that we were there. And not only were we there, but, um, you know, for those who have never been to the concert before or aren't familiar with its layout, it's at the, uh, the Las Vegas village. So that particular village stretches out, um, from one side. So they actually had two stages at the concert. You have a main stage where all of the, uh, bigger, more mainstream artists were, and then you have a secondary stage on the other side of the lot, which is pretty easy walking distance, but you still had to walk to get there. Um, and that was more like up-and-coming artists. So we were obviously by the main stage where Jason Aldean was, um, which is where the shooting happened. You know, so, in, you know, for us, we could have easily been in the back on the other side of the stage, or we could have easily been on the, we could have decided that night, we wanted to be in the front and see Jason Aldean, or we could have gone to the right side of the stage. Uh, any, you know, but f- for some reason we had stayed on that particular side and whatever reason that was, was really what saved our lives. And I just kept thinking, oh my God, like if we had even just decided any different than what we had decided that night, we could have been, we could have easily been targeted. Um, and what's hard to process too is, you know, with, with guns, you know, as he mentioned, what he remembers is bullets ricocheting off, off of the walls. That's also ricocheting off of people's bodies. There are bullets flying from one person's arm and hitting another person. So that effect, that distance could easily hit us. So the number of times the the likelier the likely chance of us getting hit was a lot higher just being in that area alone than being outside of that village, being outside of that lot um, or whatever. Because even if uh, a majority of people who are getting hit were sitting in the middle of the stage or the right side of the stage, those bullets are flying pretty far distances. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the guy that we had met where he Ralph made a makeshift tourniquet for was hit because his friend was hit in the leg. And that bullet flew through his friend's leg and in his, and that's how he got hit. Jeez. So, yeah, just to think, even if, you know, I mean, obviously, thank goodness we're alive and we weren't seriously injured, but there could have easily been a chance that we could have been. Um, that even just coming out of the building, uh, one thing, you know, I remember distinctly was hearing other people. When we were at Best Western, we had met another couple 
who was there. They weren't seriously injured. But after, you know, maybe 30 minutes, other people started coming in. And I remember this girl saying, crying and just shouting and saying, I need to call my friend. She was shot in the face. I don't know where she is. I don't know what's going on. I need somebody to help me. You're helpless at that point. What do you do? Um, you know, and then we met another girl when we were behind the dumpsters that was crying. And she was saying that she had lost her phone and she lost her friend. She doesn't know where she went. Um, the other thing I think people probably also don't remember is there's drinking going on at that concert. So a lot of people may not necessarily be coherent at the time. And that makes it even harder to be, you know, impulsive about your judgment and know what to do at what time. So a lot of those people may have been drunk, may have had a few drinks, and that may have impaired their judgment too. And that's, that's hard. So yeah, just comparing myself and, and Ralph and our own situation with our friends and seeing how very lucky we are and how really close we were to, to what happened is just life changing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I'm sure you've gone through all those thoughts a million times in the, yes. the four months since then. Yeah. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Denise and Ralph. If you know somebody who would find it interesting, please let them know about it. And if you have opinions or questions about this episode, please drop by Dialoguing.life to share them. We're a community that engages in civil dialogue on contentious issues. Notes and discussions about this episode can be found at Dialoguing.life slash four. And now, back to the conversation. Transitional start talking about the the recovery. So the first couple of days, I'm sure, was just crazy, and you know, like you said, you were trying to trying to keep things normal, and it just wasn't happening. Yeah. So at what point did did you start getting back into a regular routine? For me, um, it took a long time. I would say maybe as recent as this month, uh, maybe even as recent as last month is the earliest I would say I've been able to kind of get back into my routine. But as Ralph mentioned earlier, um, even just little things like big loud noises that resemble gunshots or what we heard that night still kind of gets me a little bit. Um, I didn't even notice at that time when those kids were playing uh, with those whatever um, that I had kind of moved a little closer to him, but I guess he picked up on it and told me it was going to be okay. And, you know, obviously it, I remembered, oh, I, I guess it still kind of affects me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's taken me a long time to process. Um, I, for my, personally, I, you know, I, th- I did therapy afterward. I needed to find a way to really process that information and be able to just try and move forward with my life because we were very fortunate enough not to be one of the tragic stories. And you know, when you've been through something like that, it's very easy for you, for somebody to, um, you know, stay indoors, not want to do anything, um, not want to move forward with their life, not sure, confused what to do. And so I needed something that was going to help me through that process. And therapy definitely did that for me. Um, there were a lot of instances, though, that I've even told him, um, that I found myself in situations I wasn't ready for. Um, for example, going to a sporting event, I had gone to a football game and didn't realize that they set off fireworks every time they scored a touchdown and they were happy. They happened to do great that game. So those fireworks were going off a lot. And every time they went off, I just found myself kind of turning around, closing my eyes. And once in a while, somebody would see me. Uh, for, this was a work event, so somebody would see me and kind of give me a shoulder and just say, are you okay? And as soon as the game was over, I realized probably won't be doing that for a while. Yeah. So things like that. But I would say, yeah, at least in the last month or so, things have been better. That's good. So you, you went to therapy then to to help get through that? Okay. Which is great. Did, did you as well? No, I, I didn't. Um, my, my process was a little different from uh, Denise's. I, um, I was back to work the next day. I was back to work the next day. I just didn't want to let it fester anymore. I just said, okay. I was forcing myself to just move on, move forward, don't even think about it, you know. 
Um, and honestly, I thought I was over it within 24 hours. I mean, again, subconscious versus your conscious mind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember having dinner with a friend of mine maybe two days later, and he was asking me how I was doing. I said, dude, I'm doing great. I'm doing fine. I, yeah, it was bad, you know. But um, And as I was telling him, you know, some of the details of the story, the restaurant that we were at, um, Blender went off. And I just paused, and I started looking around. Like, you know, it, you know, a blender doesn't sound like gunshots, right? It doesn't sound like gunfire at all, at all. Um, but it was a loud, uh, you know, unsteady noise that it was sort of, uh, that just took me off my game. And my friend, my friend noticed that. I thought it was only for a quick second, but he said, no, man, you were like gone for maybe three to four or five seconds, you know, and thank you for coming back, you know, but, um, yeah, uh, I didn't take therapy at all. I just took it day by day and, you know, try to move on further past it and try to see if I can be, um, try to desensitize, uh, desensitize myself from, um, loud noises or anything like that. I try to just take it headstrong, you know, just get over it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone processes differently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you said you've done a, a fair amount of shooting, uh, in the yeah. past. Have you gone shooting since? Uh, no, I, I haven't gone shooting the last, uh, three to four years, actually. Um, I used to go a lot with my dad, um, and we used to sit that almost on a regular basis every Saturday and Sunday. We used to, um, do speed shooting, which was like a time attack kind of thing. Um, you know, if you're able to finish the course within, you know, the best time, then you're ranked number one or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And it, it was, it was fun, you know, it was fun. But ever since then, I haven't even thought, had any thoughts about picking up a gun again, you know. Um, I'll add to what Ralph had to say a little bit earlier about, uh, since we're talking about the recovery process, um, some other things that I have also helped me personally and some of my friends too, mainly the girls, um, are support forums. Um, a lot of people may not know this, but there are an, a, a couple uh, of support forms that were created very shortly after the shooting. Um, they were dedicated to uh, survivors or families um, of victims who were somewhat associated or maybe even not associated. Somebody who just was wanted to be supportive of people that had been there. Um, but it was this big online forum on Facebook that you could basically just vent your feelings out to. And it was a lot of people uh, who, you know, had obviously had similar experiences to share, but um, it was a way of all of us concert goers, you know, quote unquote, to support each other, even if, you know, we're thousands of miles away. So people were creating uh, support groups. People were putting together happy hours or, um, Disneyland days or just ways that people who were in similar regions but had gone to the concert um, could meet up with each other. And so uh, we, a lot of our friends tried to kind of do the same. One week after the shooting, we had the friends that we were at the concert with, we actually um, came back together again on the night of the shooting. And uh, as we were saying goodbye, we hadn't realized that it was... um, just past 10 p.m., which is when the shooting happened the week before. And so we kind of just stood in silence and gave each other a hug and, you know, once again reminded each other that we're glad we were all safe. So have they, how have they been doing, you, your friends that were there? Because as we were discussing, I mean, everyone deals with it differently and takes different amount of time and different approaches. How, how are they doing? Um, I can't really speak fully to how they feel now, um, but we have kept in touch very often. I mean, the couple, one of the couples we went with is actually a really good friend of ours, um, and that's why we decided to go as a group. Uh, the other couple, um, we hadn't met them before, but obviously we got to know each other through the concert, and that was something that definitely brought us all very close together. Um, from, you know, when we had discussions, all of us had process differently. Um, I know some had gone to therapy as well, um, or at least had seen a, a counselor to kind of talk through some of what happened. Um, I know one of the girls still kind of had a hard time about um, going into public places by herself without her fiance. Uh, for me, that was a little bit easier, but, you know, obviously with the sporting event, things like that, that was harder for me. Um, 
I think now, you know, we recently saw uh, them yesterday, actually, for a different occasion, and they were doing well. You know, from what I can see, we haven't talked, we didn't talk about it last night. I don't think it's something we intentionally try to bring up every time we see each other, but sometimes we check in and we just make sure if, for example, I think the last couple of weeks, there have been things in the news that have actually been coming up um, because the last four months seemed kind of radio silent in the media about the details of the investigation. And as things started coming out, we would text each other once in a while in a group text and say, hey, have you guys seen this? Um, you know, if there was something graphic or something we didn't want to know at the end, we would just kind of tell each other, don't read the last page of this article. It's might, you know, it's not so great. Yeah. Um, but so far, it seems like everybody's moved, been, been able to at least try and move on. Everyone's, you know, like we're all back to work. Um, you know, our two friends that we went with are praying for their wedding. And, you know, we've, we're both at work and just, yeah, just trying to move on. I think it's been good so far. That's good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, so one one thing that I, I hear, I'm not a fan of some of the simple platitudes of, you know, everything will work out or you're exactly where you're meant to be. Some of right. some of those, you know, they're all well-meaning and, and I, I get the sentiment behind them. But okay. I'm, I'm a realist and a pragmatist and I guess maybe a bit of a cynic. Um, so, like, something like, well, everything happens for a reason I don't necessarily subscribe to. And especially an event like this, I can't, can't believe there was a good reason for it, but I feel like there's still lessons that can be learned, some positives that could be taken away. For most situations, this uh, obviously may be not, but I'm curious if there is any, anything sort of positive or, or lessons learned that you've taken from it. Um, yeah, de definitely. Um, you know, after the whole event happened, um, it does take some time for it to process and, and to sink in. Um, you know, but the one thing that I couldn't get out of my mind, um, were issues that were completely unrelated to the event. Um, you know, like for example, my, my mom right now is, a, she has end stage kidney disease. Um, and one of the things that I was discussing with Denise about was a possibility of, you know, donating my kidney to my mom. Um, you know, even though there were other donors, um, and other routes that they could take without utilizing me. Um, you know, but I remember during the holidays, you know, I, I had announced it to my family that I don't care what anybody says, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this, you know, I'm donating my, my kidney to my mom. And of course, you know, naturally parents will try to say no, right? They don't, they don't ever want to put their own children in harm's way or potential complications, especially with health. Um, you know what I said? No. You know, the one thing that I truly am grateful for is my life. You don't really, you don't really, you know, think about it until something like this really happens. And I know it, it's a very common, over, overly used cliche where you should never take life for granted, but you really shouldn't, you know, and this situation, it's, you have to be really conscious about that. Um, you know, one of the things that I was talking to Denise about, she kept asking me, you know, why did this happen? Why would something like this happen? You know, there was, there was resentment, there was rejection, feelings of rejection and resentment. And, um, you know, I'll be honest with you, there were times where we resented, you know, where we're Catholics, so we resented God, you know? Um, and one of the things that I was, telling her about was I don't don't think about it that way you know we were meant we were spared because we were meant for something greater you know and and I think the truth is my path is leading me towards helping out my mom you know um, for different people it's going to be different right either there's a there's a journey that each of us goes through a hardship that each of us goes through in order to um, see a clearer path on where we're meant to be what our purpose is at what our greater purpose in life is Absolutely. I, you know, I echo Ralph's sentiments. I, I don't know if there's ever going to be one specific lesson that I think can really come out of a situation like this. Um, you know, I know people are going to have their opinions about guns, gun control, mental illness, things like that always come up when a mass shooting happens. And it's unfortunate that it's happened enough that these conversations keep happening. Um, but you know, I agree. Uh, 
you know, with what he said about really not taking life for granted. I think it, it is such a cliche way to, to say it, but there's just no better word choice. You know, I think, you know, when you're in that moment, you don't realize how honestly important it is to just cherish everything. You know, I mean, we're pretty young. We just got married less than three years ago. You know, we don't have any kids yet. We don't have a family yet. That's something, you know, he and I talked about in our future. When you make plans, even just in life in general, you always talk about the future. You know, I, this is my five-year plan. This is my 10-year plan. This is what we want to do next week. This is what I'm having for breakfast tomorrow. But you really don't think that the minute you walk out of your door or the minute you get in your car or go to a concert that your life could just be taken away like that. Um, one thing that we, you know, hadn't mentioned yet is our, when we were at the concert, our parents didn't even know we were there. Um, my mom had actually called me. If she had texted me as we were running away from the venue, she knew we were in Vegas. She didn't know for any reason why. I'm sure I had told her, but she must have forgotten. And she had texted me and she's like, when do you come home today? It's just a very innocent text. I think she had seen the news. I don't think it was even on the news. Um, his parents, I don't think even think knew he was in Vegas. So, uh, you know, imagine had we lost our lives that night. Who's going to have that tough conversation with our families? You know, to tell them that your kids were at a concert and lost their lives in Las Vegas. That's never something easy. You know, I'm sure as a parent yourself, like, it's hard to imagine. You have children. You don't want to think that that, you know, you, you're you not there to keep your own children safe. And, you know, while we don't have kids, you know, we understand the love that our parents have for us. And to even think that I would not have a chance to say goodbye to them say goodbye to my friends, let alone not fully live the life we had chosen to live together to its fullest extent, all of those things come into play. And I think all of those are lessons to be learned and ties back to really cherishing your life because everything really actually counts from, you know, not having that argument that you don't need to have or not letting those things at work that get to you normally get to you. Because at the end of the day, if something happens like that or something unexpected and your life actually is on the line, all of those things are meaningless. So I think those are, those are pretty strong lessons yeah. for me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good outlook to have. Yeah. For sure. It's, it's funny. You get, you get, it's so easy to get complacent with it. It is. You know, and yeah. you know, we get, I, I think driving might be a good analogy because at least for me, you know, when when you start driving, you're you're hitting all your mirrors all the time. You're constantly checking over your shoulder. You know, it's hey, this this is fun, but there there's a potential for danger. And then the more you drive, the more comfortable you get, and maybe you don't pay as close of attention. And and you know, similar kind of thing as as you're talking about. It's so easy to just take for granted. Oh yeah, we'll we'll be able to deal with that next year or in a few years. And, you know, right. Not, yeah. Nothing against making plans, of course, but to just not take not take your time for granted. Right, exactly. Yeah, even uh, uh, sometime last year, um, late last year, I had gone to another work event in San Francisco. And I was with a friend, and uh, who's also a co-worker, and we were at an outdoor concert, and the conference had thrown it as part of their conference activities. And it didn't really hit me then that it was an outdoor concert. I was just kind of excited to see who was playing and all that. And then as soon as we got out there, it was a very similar setup to Route 91. And I just froze. And I remember that night, and she had picked up on it too and was like, we can leave anytime. Um, but I told her, no, I want to power through this concert because I don't want it to let, I don't want what happened to power over my life. And, but, as you mentioned, you know, with the car analogy, you're constantly looking over your shoulder, then you get complacent. In this instance, I was what, where I, whereas before I would have never thought twice about where I am, what's going on, looking at other people, being more observant. I was very observant at that concert. I almost didn't really fully enjoy it because I was constantly looking at the exits, which was one advice he had given me was be aware. Just be aware. You know, if, you're at a public place, 
at an outdoor concert, I was looking over my shoulders, looking to see if the exit was close enough for me to run to. If there's any little noise that set off, I was, I was going to make sure I was the first one out the door. Um, so things like that, I think, you know, have changed, but it's perfect analogy to what you said. Just the awareness, I think, has definitely stuck out a little more. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then there's a balance, too. I think it's, you know, definitely prudent and practical to have that kind of awareness. And hopefully you can have that awareness without a sense of dread all mm-hmm. the time. You know, get yeah. to the right balance of that. Yeah, absolutely. For those of us that weren't there, um, is there anything else you think that, that they should know? Yeah, I mean, it, it's easy for... Um, for us to just sit back on the on the couch and watch the news and um oh my god that's a traumatic event that happened in Paris oh my god route 91 that happened on October 1st and just recently we had a um uh a terrible event that happened in Florida at a school right um and it's easy for us to 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 see it on TV and react to it right um but one of the things that I was telling Denise and talking to my family about is that you never really want to let these events scare you into creating your own mental prison where you don't want to get out of the house. Who no one in this world, you know, should have that type of power over anyone, right? Um, especially the the gunman that hap- that, that happened to be in the wrong state of mind and and create such a terrible event. You know, um, I refuse to give him that type of power. And I, I don't believe anybody, um, even who wasn't even directly involved and just sees it on the media, um, on TV, on Facebook, Instagram, you know, on a, they shouldn't be scared to go out. Because at the same time, though, if you let that happen, you're letting that person win, you know, because that's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to create that fear. He wants to create that that sense of, of, of fear where he you don't go out because this is what's going to happen. You know, you really have to take it day by day, you know, but don't, don't be afraid to, to go out and live your life. You know, we, we were actually planning to go back to Vegas. You know, at first there was a bit of hesitation, I'll admit, you know, but, um, I think that's probably the best thing for us. You know, it, it can be even seen as therapeutic, right? Um, you know, it's easy for us to say, oh, I'll never go back to Vegas again, right? You can't have that mentality, you know, because, at the end of the day, you have to live the life that you chose, right? And you can't let anybody, you know, stand in that way to let you deviate from from that path. Yeah, I agree. I think on top of that, at the same time, you know, we're one perspective. We are two people out of the thousands of people that were there who have very different stories from us. And some obviously with more tragic endings than ours, um, you know, as he, he, you know, you brought up the Florida shooting. I think that's such an important topic. And as you mentioned, it's very easy for any of us to just sit back, watch the news and, um, you know, be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. Um, you know, but I think for us, one of the reasons we really wanted to talk about this in this outlet, in this form is because we want to urge people to just be compassionate and, you know, in situations like this, it's very easy to tear the world apart, to tear people from Republicans to Democrats to gun control to no gun control. And I think what people don't realize, you know, one of the things that I had asked people on my own Facebook after was to please be sensitive about the situation. Um, be sensitive to those people that lost their families, that are not thinking about that right now, that are just thinking about how they're going to move on from their life having lost somebody that they didn't expect to lose. Um, And so for us, I think we really urge people to just be, you know, more compassionate with each other. Um, Obviously on top of the lessons that we learned about being more aware, um, living your life to the fullest and, um, you know, not letting things get to you and being able to live your life without letting it hold you back. Um, you know, what we really hope is for people to see this and, you know, remember that we're all human and everyone is going to have their opinions about what's right and what's wrong and, 
how we should do things. But at the end of the day, we all strive for the same thing, you know, is to just survive in this world and do our best and be the best people we can be. And I think, you know, in a time of need like this, we should really be supporting each other more than we should really be tearing each other apart. And it's very easy to do with social media nowadays, but, you know, um, everyone's going to have their opinion. So, you know, I think all in all, you know, we've said some, I think, pretty thought-provoking things, and hopefully that will be enough to get people to really start talking about this more and not having to be negative about it, but, you know, as the purpose of this podcast is to dialogue about life and to just be able to have conversations, whether you agree to disagree or or not, you know, just talk about it and hear other people's perspectives and be understanding. Great. That seems like a fantastic note to end on. So, awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys for your time. Absolutely. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Denise and Ralph about their experiences in Las Vegas. As mentioned, they are two of thousands of people that were there, and we're very lucky not to have heartbreak and tragedy in their tale. If you know somebody that would be interested in this episode, please share it with them. The episode, along with its notes and discussion, can be found at dialoguing.life slash four. Dialoguing Life is a community for productive conversations where people can share their experiences and discuss heated topics without the vitriol found on many social media sites. Join the conversation at dialoguing.life. Thanks for listening.